Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. In the course of his teaching, Jesus said to the crowds, Beware of the scribes who like to go around in long robes and accept greetings in the marketplaces, seats of honor in synagogues, and places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows and, as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers. They will receive a very severe condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they have all contributed from their surplus wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. The Gospel of the Lord. It's hard to believe that September 11th became a day of infamy over 17 years ago. Maybe it's because we're living in this area where the World Trade Center stood only about 15 miles from here and we could see the construction of the Freedom Tower from the Newman Center porch where the Twin Towers once stood. That almost not a day goes by that I'm not somehow thinking about September 11th, whether the victims were just the horrible memories of such a dark day in our our history. But I also remember stories of greatness in the midst of such horror, stories of incredible heroism. Of the over 3,000 people who died that day, there were countless numbers of ordinary men and women who ended up sacrificing their lives to help save others. There were rescue workers, thousands of men and women from the Port Authority Police Department from the NYPD, from FDNY, who were at the scene moments after the terrifying events began and stayed for days, weeks, and months after to try to do some sort of a rescue effort for all those people. And one such story that comes to mind is that of firefighter Stephen Siller. Stephen was the youngest of seven children who lost both of his parents by the time he was 10 years old. And from that point on, he was raised by his siblings. That experience, though, he said, helped for him to emphasize the importance of of living life to the full. Now, oftentimes when people use that phrase, they kind of use it in, in shallow ways, like a person who simply takes care of themselves and wants to just enjoy life. But for Stephen, living life to the full meant having five kids of his own working three jobs to support them, and then still finding time to try to help at his own parish of Sacred Heart in West Brighton, New York, where he was on the the youth council and he was coaching their CYO basketball team. Well, on September 11th, 2001, 
He was looking forward to take advantage of what was a spectacularly sunny day to go golfing with his three brothers. And he heard on his fire department scanner in his truck about the plane hitting the World Trade Center. So he calls his wife, tells her to pass on word to his brothers that he'd meet up with them later as he rushed to the firehouse to meet up with the squad who he assumed would be going to the scene. By the time he had gotten there, they had already left. So he grabbed his gear, threw it into his truck, and just started driving himself to the, 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 the scene as far as he could get. And he got to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, which by then had already been closed for security reasons. So he grabbed his 60 pounds of gear and ran almost three miles from there to the World Trade Center site, where he was last seen running into the building, where he would ultimately die with 342 other members of the FDNY that day. His family took their grief and their pain, but even more, their love and their admiration for their brother and decided to follow in his footsteps, literally. Every year since 2002, they've sponsored what is called the Tunnel to Towers Run, where they go from the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel to the World Trade Center site as a as a living memorial to their brother and all those who perished that day, which I'm hoping next year I'm going to run it. I, I keep saying I'm going to do it, but I think next year is going to be my year because it's only five, 5K, so I think I can actually do that. But that run has become this incredible fundraiser for the, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, a foundation that his family created, which meant to capture Stephen's example of just doing good by living selflessly, living lovingly for others. And in the 16 years since its creation, this foundation has raised tens of thousands of dollars for burn centers throughout the New York City metro area and has now spread its assistance to not only just other causes locally, but all around the nation. When you read about Stephen, though, he sounds like the kind of guy that you want living next door to you. But the beautiful thing was to hear how so many heard his story and knew his story. And they decided they wanted to live just as selflessly because they were so inspired by him. And they realized that Stephen pouring out his life for others wasn't a new thing. It was something simply solidified as he made that final run on 9-11 to try to help others. And his example affected so many to, <clears throat> who knew him and loved him that you see them that they're now trying to take up that cause themselves and trying to change the world one needy person at a time. And that's what's so beautiful about this gospel that we just heard. Offering something out of love. And not just something, but everything. This widow that we heard about, this lady is as poor as poor can be. Her entire life savings basically amounts to a few cents. And what does she do with this pittance she offers it to the temple treasury. So someone witnessing it could ask with all logic, what difference is what she doing going to make for the temple? I mean, there were wealthier people making offerings of much greater amounts. So imagine a, a billionaire walks in and drops a million dollars in the treasury. That's a big deal. What does these you know, pennies from this widow going to do? So now instead of a, a million dollars, they're going to have a million dollars and three cents. Now they can build the temple, like that few cents sealed the deal. Meanwhile, she can't afford to do that. She's given all that she had left. What's she going to do now? 
And in our moments of, of rational thinking, we could argue that it was quite foolish and reckless for her to do such a thing. But you know what? She didn't ask our opinion. She didn't even ask to be noticed. This isn't about her contribution being compared to another on some spreadsheet or some accountant's office. It's simply her way of putting her money where her mouth and her life is. Because she's come to realize that the only thing that matters is God. Yes, her husband's dead. Yes, she's already been very vulnerable because she's poor. Yes, she's lost a lot already. But that doesn't make her bitter. It makes her cling to the only thing, the only thing she knew for certain that she had in this life. And that was God. And so out of love for him, she offers all that she has. She gives the only thing she has physically, a seemingly insignificant amount of money. Over the last 19 years that I've been a priest, very sadly, it seems that many people have a really warped understanding of what true love is all about. And so they don't know how to offer it themselves. So a guy and a girl hook up with each other for a night and they whisper, I love you. That's not love. A parent or a spouse makes outrageous guilt-ridden demands and says, if you love me, you will do this. And that's not love either. And sadly, there are countless other stories or examples of, of destructive and manipulative behavior that people have been told or led to believe is loving behavior. And all of it is shockingly sad. And if those are people's experiences or understandings of love, then these stories do seem unreal. They seem ridiculous. And then those voices saying how foolish, how reckless these offerings are become almost understandable. And if that's a voice that you're hearing in your head, I'm sorry for what you've gone through or whatever it is that's led you to believe those lies. Because the reality is we can't read the Gospels and not walk away without an overwhelming, earth-shattering revelation. And that's this, that Jesus Christ loves us with this foolish, reckless love. That God loves us like this. That the creator of the universe loved you and me into existence. And he loves us by sacrificing his son on the cross. He loves us by giving us his son in this word that we're sharing right now and in the bread and wine, which becomes his body and blood in the Eucharist. And he tells us we're to follow him and to follow his example, which is a life of complete self-emptying, self-giving love, giving up everything for you and for me. That's why Jesus is so touched and moved when he sees this, this poor widow acting with that same foolish, reckless abandon. Because he sees she gets it. She's been changed by the God who has so foolishly, recklessly loved her. She loves him like that. By giving all that she has left to him. Knowing he's not going to abandon her. And even more importantly, he's not going to let her faith be shown to be foolish or reckless. If you think about it, the, the world would have completely understood if Stephen Siller's family and friends had, had withdrawn and given into their grief and then become isolated, just recognizing 
They've lost so much, and the family's just been through too much. That would have been almost reasonable and understandable to people. Yet as much as they mourn his loss, they have been forever changed by his loving example. And rather than staying put in their their grief and their pain, they've taken that example to change them and to become even more generous, selfless themselves. And the ripples of that effect are going all over the world. Well, what about us? With this gospel reading, I don't think Jesus is putting us with a challenge where he wants us to go and prove right now whether we love him with this selfless, self-emptying love for him tonight and saying, if you do so, go home, get your checkbooks, empty out your savings accounts. Anytime you hear a preacher saying that, run as far as you can because that's not what this is about. The gospel is not about our bank accounts. It's about our hearts. And for some, and for most of us, <laughs> that takes a lifetime for us to truly offer to him. But in order for that to happen, the challenge that Jesus does offer us is that radical and fundamental essential starting point. And that's this. Do we actually believe that Jesus loves us like that? Yeah. <laughs>